Coming up on this week's show, Jay Northcote joins us to talk about his upcoming book, Better Place. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. Welcome to episode 175 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Will from willcanals.com, and with me, as always, is my co-host and husband, Mr. Jeff Adams. This episode of the podcast is brought to you in part by our remarkable group of supporters on Patreon. We will have more information on how you can join them at the end of the show, along with a sneak peek of what we have coming up for you next week. So you're definitely going to want to stick around for that. Now, uh, before we get into uh, what we've done this past week, uh, we wanted to begin the show uh, with some unfortunately very sad news. Uh, We learned uh, that this past Saturday, uh, Patricia Nell Warren passed away. Um, Now, those of you who don't know, Warren was the author of many amazing books, but primarily is best known for The Front Runner, and that's the best-selling book that in my mind, essentially serves as the cornerstone of a modern gay lit. Mm-hmm. Um, now, she was a vocal advocate for LGBT uh, equality, especially in sports. She leaves behind an enduring legacy, and we just want to take a moment to say thank you, Patricia, for your art and your advocacy and your passion. Yes, she will be best. Uh, I have a couple books to recommend this week that are a little outside of our normal uh, I read some industry books. Uh, first one was a sto- was called Storyteller, How to Be an Audiobook Narrator, uh, which is by Lorelai King, who is herself a narrator, and Allie Mearden, who is her uh, audiobook producer and business partner. Uh, very fascinating insight into the world of audiobook narration there. The other book was called Novel Idea, mm, Novel Idea to Podcast, How to Sell More Books Through Podcasting, which is by Paul Sading. Uh, Paul does a number of podcasts, uh, both audio dramas as well as a writing podcast. And this book is really interesting for authors who might be considering a podcast uh, to help them sell books, whether it's a podcast like ours or something along the lines of audio drama. Um, I write more about both of these books uh, on a blog post at jeffadamswrites.com, which I'll put in the show notes. But both of these uh, would be of interest for authors. And and potentially also for readers who might be interested in some of the more nuts and bolts behind podcasting and uh, the audiobooks that they listen to. So highly recommend you check those out. This past week, I also read something a little uh, outside the ordinary. (laughs) Um, In a recent episode of Smart Podcast Trashy Books, Sarah Wendell talked to... uh, Two women who are podcasters, and they have a a podcast that focuses on reading and then examining um, the old Sweet Valley High books. And uh, it was uh, evident from that particular episode that there are still incredibly passionate readers out there of these teen YA books. Now, I, of course, wasn't a particular reader of these kinds of books, but I am fascinated by the subgenre and the explosion of uh, youth, uh, young adult books uh, in the 80s and early 90s. So what I ended up doing is I ended up picking up Paperback Crush by Gabrielle Moss. And in this book, um, this beautifully illustrated book, I might add, uh, she goes over the YA phenomenon that happened in the 80s and 90s, not only covering books and series like Sweet Valley High and Babysitter's Club, but um, a, a, just a, a ton of other stuff, uh, including uh, specific subgenres uh, like, you know, uh, books about, you know, girls forming clubs like the Babysitter's Club, uh, you know, camp books and books that had uh, horror themes. That was also really big in the 90s. Hello, R.L. Bumps. Uh, yeah, R.L. <laughs> Stein, that kind of thing. Um, it's really fascinating look at some uh, bygone uh, a paperback ephemera. So if you're even tangentially interested in this kind of thing, I recommend Paperback Crush by Gabrielle Moss. Yeah, I think I'm going to check that out because that's certainly my jam uh, from, from some of my teen years. Uh, holidays are over, of course, the primary holidays, but, uh, you know, the Hallmark Channel movie watching does continue here. 
And there was one of note, uh, back during the holidays, we actually mentioned uh, a movie called Road to Christmas that had a very much behind the scenes and not really mentioned uh, gay couple that uh, popped up. Valentine in the Vineyard, uh, which aired er earlier this month, and will be cropping up a little bit more through Valentine's and through February, had a more pronounced gay couple uh, in its episode, in its movie. Uh, two guys were sitting across a table from the main characters while the main characters were undergoing a compatibility test. Uh, these two showed up multiple times in the scene. Um, we're even seeing kind of uh, leaning on each other and interacting with each other. So it was very nice to see Hallmark continuing to at least pepper the background uh, with some LGBTQ characters. And of course, we can only hope for more of that. But if you want to see that, check out Valentine in the Vineyard as it continues to air on the Hallmark Channel this month. Now, for some more uh, concrete gay content, <laughs> I would like to recommend the latest issue of Entertainment Weekly. Um, they've uh, recently released a double issue. It's all pretty in pink for Valentine's Day. And the reunion of My Best Friend's Wedding is on the cover. Everyone is looking gorgeous. Um, and in it, they go behind the scenes and tell stories about uh, not only movies like My Best Friend's Wedding, but they go in-depth uh, and a lot of classic rom-coms as well. And uh, it's worth noting that they uh, go behind the scenes with movies like Broken Hearts Club, which we uh, kind of examined in one of our recent uh, Patreon bonus episodes. Uh, they also have a full page spread on the evolution of the gay best friend trope in rom-coms. Uh, so I think this issue is uh, a lot of fun. And uh, everyone should definitely uh, give it a peeky-loo. A peeky-loo, I like that. Uh, one more random note. You know, it is the time for chocolate and candies. And uh, I recently got my hands on the uh, Most Stuff Oreos. Now, in the package, these things look utterly ginormous. I think they're probably more akin to perhaps a triple stuff or a quadruple stuff. But I was excited. I'm always excited to see what Oreo does with their special edition flavors, like the carrot cake and the peanut butter and the red velvet and on and on. Uh, but these uh, most stuff Oreos were really tasty, where the, uh, the cream content certainly outweighs the cookie content in ratio. And if, if you want a good sugary blast, I would highly recommend those. In Somewhere on Mackinac by Jeff Adams, Jordan Monroe travels to Mackinac Island for the Somewhere in Time fan celebration weekend. Once there, he becomes attracted to local stable owner Miles Coulter. When Jordan learns the stable's in trouble, he wants to help despite Miles' resistance. As their relationship grows, he dreads the issues that face them. Can they forge a love as timeless as the romance in their favorite film? Find out in Somewhere on Mackinac by Jeff Adams. Available from DreamspinnerPress.com, Amazon.com, and other ebook retailers. So I want to kick off this week's review segment with a really amazing book. It's called Temporary Dad by Dev Bentham. Now, this is the first book I've ever read by this author, and I loved it. I loved it to pieces, which is perfectly appropriate because it's from the Bad Valentine, Valentine's Day series. Um, now, each book in this particular like little mini-series... Um, can be read as a standalone. Uh, the one thing they have in common is they all start with the same sentence. And that sentence is, nothing good ever came of a valentine. Now, Temporary Dad is about a guy named Nick, and he is the editor of a high fashion magazine. And he's a little, um, he's experiencing a, a drought, a romantic drought. Um, and the valentine uh, of the uh of the uh, concept uh, he receives is essentially a flyer for uh, like a sort of dance get together singles event at the local like LGBT center. So on a whim, he just decides to go to see what happens. Uh, and when he's there, he meets a guy named Dylan, a super duper hot firefighter. Uh, and they kind of, uh, he's like, oh, who's that hot guy over there? So, they, uh, <laughs> so they, they're kind of checking each other out. And um, it's uh, apparent they're, they're both like super into each other like right away. So uh, Nick invites Dylan back to his place and they hook up and it's super duper hot. But they agree this is essentially just like a one-time thing. And that's what it is. Cut to the very next day, Nick has become the temporary garden of his gar guardian 
Garden? What? Garden? <laughs> That's a different book. <laughs> Nick has become the temporary guardian of his young niece, Ruby. Um, his sister has left the country uh, gallivanting uh, somewhere in the third world, like building wells or doing some sort of charity work. I don't even know. But um, <laughs> he's he's been uh, left in charge of Ruby for the next couple of weeks. And he genuinely gives it the old college try, <laughs> but um, he really does not have any clue what he is doing. Um, as it turns out, that firefighter was not a firefighter at all. Um, oh. <laughs> he was a second grade teacher. As it so happens, Dylan is Ruby's second grade teacher. And he starts to notice that things aren't quite right with Ruby. She's like acting up in class and being disruptive. So eventually he calls a parent-teacher conference. And uh, what a surprise, in walks Nick. Uh, and so they quickly resolve the, the, the sort of subterfuge that uh, Nick, Nick went through on Valentine's Day. Um, he didn't think anyone would be interested in a, a boring old grade school teacher, so he decided to like butch it up and uh, role play as a firefighter. <laughs> so, so once they get that confusion out of the way, um, they make a genuine effort to do what's best for Ruby. Um, Ruby suffers a little bit from ADHD, and there were specific uh, things that um, her mom had in place to help control that. Uh, things that um, Nick wasn't doing. So what they decide to do is uh, have Dylan come over after school and help help um, help Ruby kind of get back on track, uh, get her school bu- schoolwork back under control. And when um, Dylan comes over, he realizes how much Nick is, you know, doesn't know what he's doing. Um, so uh, <laughs> they, as they spend more and more time uh, helping Ruby out, they get to know one another. They already know that they've got terrific chemistry in bed. It's now that as they get to know one another that um, they really um, start to fall in love. Aww. Now, what I thought was really interesting and exceptional about this book is that um, after Nick and Dylan uh, initially hook up, um, there's a, a good portion of the story um, where they're not together. Um, Dylan spends his time with Ruby during the day in the classroom, and then Nick spends his time with Ruby at home during the nighttime. And so it's during this part of the story that we not only learn more about Ruby, who is not your standard, like, everyday, like, super sweet saccharine uh, romance kid. She's, like, a fully fleshed-out Keller character, and she's really interesting. But I thought what was really interesting about this section of the story is that when the two main characters interact with Ruby, we learn more about them as people. So I thought that was really, really terrific. Um, eventually, uh, everything turns out great, uh, and they uh, end up having their happily ever after. So I really, really enjoyed this installment of the Bad Valentine series, and I definitely recommend Temporary Dad by Dead Bentham. That sounds awesome. Now, we do have a bonus episode coming up for you this week, because we're going to review the other three books in the Bad Valentine series in that episode and you'll find it in your podcatchers right alongside this one so do check that out as well now the book that i have uh this week is one that i have been super duper excited for uh it is leather rain's noble hops which is the final book in the trouble brewing trilogy uh now trouble brewing spun off of the irish and whiskey series and these books focus on the kidnap and rescue expert uh cameron byrne and U.S. Attorney Dominic Price. Uh, These two have been working gradually towards their happily ever after in the first two books, and everything kind of comes together uh, and falls apart all at the same time in this final book. Um, In the first two books, we've been seeing the threads of what's going on uh, with San Francisco gangster Duncan Vaughn. Uh, He has been causing trouble 
uh, for uh, Nick's family. His father owned, owes uh, Vaughn a considerable sum of money. And, of course, you never want to owe a gangster money. Because <laughs> bad things always come from that. <laughs> kind of. Um, yeah, maybe. <laughs> and Vaughn wants his money back. And he's willing to go after Nick and Nick's business, which is a brewery, hence Trouble Brewing. Uh, if if that will help get this money back. Um, as it turns out, this time, uh, Vaughn's done playing around, and uh, Nick's father uh, is found dead uh, as this book opens, and Nick is convinced it is foul play, and that it is time for uh, both him and Cameron to step up their game and get, these, get all the pieces together so they can take Vaughn down. Uh, Vaughn, however, is not going to go quietly. Uh, he has, over his years of uh, being said gangster in San Francisco, has built a vast network of people. Uh, he has a lot of folks uh, kind of in his pocket to do his bidding. And some of them we have figured out over the course of the first two books. But really in this book, the, the vastness of Vaughn's network uh, gets really brought to the forefront and causes, you know, Nick and Cam to really wonder who they can trust. Are they trusting the right people? Um, you know, occasionally, you know, how much can they trust each other with the information that's going on around them? Because leaks seem to be happening at every turn. Uh, it's the tension in this book is off the charts. Uh, I've said before how well Layla does this kind of stuff. And she is really at the top of her game here. Um, because even though, I mean, this is a Karina book. And Karina promises that HEA. They guarantee it in their promotional materials. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't know how this is going to work. It's got to work, but I don't know how. Uh, the action here in particular, oh my God. The last 25% of, of this book is absolutely relentless as... Cam and Nick and, and the people you think they can trust are closing in on Vaughn. Just thing after thing happened. A lot of stuff goes wrong. And it's just, I couldn't put this down. I was up like an hour past my bedtime because I had to finish the book. There was no putting it down. Um, and the writing is so sharp and the consequences so very high. Uh, the other thing that was amazing to me was just how evil the evil was Vaughn is such a bad guy and yet he's not over the top he's not like an over the top like Bond villain kind of evil he's somebody you can actually see in the present day where we have all these people and you wonder who you can trust in their positions of authority sometimes um, and Layla has done a great job of planting seeds sometimes all the way back in the Irish and whiskey books about some of these folks and that you can go back to go, Oh, Oh, that, that thing that was a sentence over there is oh so true now. Uh, it just, it's amazing. I mean, she's like a masterclass almost in, in some of this romantic suspense stuff. And the wrap up is so satisfying. You know, as I mentioned, Karina always guarantees that HEA, but this gets so dark and troubled first and it's just all handled brilliantly and I just can't thank Layla enough for such a wonderful series. Uh, this is the first time I've actually read one of these books as well because all the other uh, books in the whiskey verse as it's come to be known um, have been uh, Tristan James reading them to me via audio and this one I actually read on on you know, virtual paper, uh, but I'm so integrated with Tristan that I really heard him read it in my head anyway, <laughs> which was kind of crazy. Um, Layla said that there's more in the whiskey verse to come. She's got some other projects to do first. So I am so looking forward to those, of course. Uh, but I highly recommend uh, Noble Hops, which comes out uh, Monday, February 11th. So just as this podcast drops. And if you haven't read the Irish and Whiskey trilogy that was before this and the other Trouble Brewing books, Pick those up. Do not wait. Very good. <laughs> awesome. Good to hear. Yeah. Now, you've got one more book to go. One more book. I want to quickly talk about uh, another new-to-me author. Uh, this week, I read Starting from Scratch by Jay Northcote, who we're going to be hearing from in just a few minutes. Now, 
I finished this book a couple of days ago and I've really been struggling because I know that no matter how I describe this book, it's going to sound boring. Because <laughs> the thing is, I genuinely, wholeheartedly fell in love with Ben and Sid. I love this book so much. The problem is that there is very little angst and very little drama going on in this book. It's essentially just a very sweet romance about two nice guys who meet and they date and then they fall in love, kind of the end. Those are some of my favorite kind of books. It was so <laughs> damn good. Uh, due in no small part to the uh, writing magic, the mojo that Jay weaves within such a very simple story. Okay, let me try to go in a little bit more detail. <laughs> now that I've given you an overview, um, this is the story of Ben. Um he is uh, one of our nice guy m main characters. Uh, he is trans. He has recently uh, completed his transition, and he is uh, essentially in his last year of university. And he's uh, moving into uh, a house with some other roommates. Uh, Starting from scratch, by the way, is the fifth book in the Housemate series. And we'll get to some of the secondary characters in just a little bit. So Ben moves into the house. And um, though he kind of wants to uh, pull back, um, he doesn't necessarily want to like put himself out there. Um, he's still trying to get used to the idea of navigating uh, the world around him in this uh, new body. Um, but he makes an effort on the very first night that he moves in to go out with some of the guys to a local pub. And while he's there, he meets nice guy Sid. And there is like instant chemistry between the two of them. They get to talking and get to know one another and uh, they just like one another. And so they end up uh, like going out on a couple of dates. Um, what I really thought was nice about this book is that both of the characters are uh, fairly young. I think this would probably slot very nicely into the new adult category, not only because of the character's age, but because of what the what they're experiencing for the very first time. Uh, ben is uh, trans, and he's sort of navigating um, his first uh, first relationship uh with another man while sid um has had you know uh different boyfriends and like hooked up you know plenty of times before but when he meets ben he sort of intuitively knows that he's someone very special uh, and this is someone you know he might want to like build a genuine relationship with uh you know the very first time that he's done so with another person um, so they end up going on a couple of dates. Um, like I mentioned, they're just two nice guys uh, kind of getting to know one another. Um, it's really sweet when Ben like essentially tells Sid that he's trans. He's like, you know, oh, okay, sure, whatever. Uh, I still like you. Do you want to go out? Um, it's very, very nice. Um, and when they first um, end up sleeping together, um, it's very very sweet and very tender as they're you know both exploring something very new uh but ultimately it's also very very hot um not only do these two nice guys like one another they have a sizzling uh sexual chemistry in the sheet i mean they're you know they're both young guys in the prime of their life they're gonna end up doing it a whole bunch for sure um so they're sweet the sex is super hot and very very sexy um, the only real drama in this particular book is some some of Ben's uh, trust issues. Um, he's initially reticent around some of the other guys uh, and, you know, with people in gen general about having to, like, you know, constantly decide if he wants to come out to other people as being a trans man. So there's some uh, uh, anxiety uh, when he's dealing with other people. Also, Ben has some genuine moments of dysphoria. Um, mm. He's still getting used to uh, his new body. 
Um, but what's also really super nice about this book is is that whenever um, either Ben or Sid encounter any problems, uh, they actually end up talking about it like real live adults. Yay! <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so it's really, really wonderful. I highly recommend starting from scratch. Really quickly, as I mentioned before, there is a large cast of secondary characters. As I mentioned, this is the fifth book in a series. I feel that you can read this book totally on its own, and it's going to make perfect sense. It made perfect sense for me. Um, but uh, you would probably get a little bit more out of it if you've read the, the previous books. Something I think Jay Northcote manages to do uh, fairly well is, is that with just a few words, we uh, completely understand who all these secondary characters are, sort of their place their hierarchy in the group of friends um, without having to read the read those previous books um, we uh, instinctually know who they are uh, almost immediately with very little you know like we don't have like pages and pages of backstory or explanation about what's gone on before because we don't need it um, the focus really is on Sid and Ben I want to also quickly mention that a guy named Lewis Carter was the audiobook narrator for Starting From Scratch, and he is phenomenal. I've never listened to anything by Lewis Carter before, uh, but I will certainly be looking for his name in the future. So, I highly recommend Starting From Scratch. Did you know that podcasts love to get reviews too? Taking a moment to leave a review about the Big Gay Fiction Podcast helps us with the show's visibility online. Please take a moment to visit iTunes and leave a review. Your comments help other readers of gay romance discover this show. Thanks for helping us spread the word about the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. So I'm very excited that Jay Northcote uh, joins us this week. We have a great discussion about his new book called Better Place. And we'll also dive into the book that Will just reviewed with Starting From Scratch. Welcome to the podcast, Jay. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you. It's really good to be here. A bit nerve-wracking out of my comfort zone because I've never done this before. So <laughs> Now you could mark this off as a thing that you won't have to be nervous about again if you're back on a podcast sometime. Exactly. Well, that's why I thought, you know, it's always good to, like, get these things over with. First panel, first convention, first podcast. So. Right. <laughs> Just one more, one more good first for the for the resume. Exactly. Now you've got a new book coming out on the on February twenty second called Better Place, which is the third in the Rainbow series. Uh, tell us a little bit about this series and this new book. Um, okay, so the Rainbow Place series um, is named for the first book in the series, which is called Rainbow Place, Rainbow Place One. And um, the series is based around a cafe in a small town in Cornwall. And it's a cafe that's LGBT plus friendly. So that's the, the kind of premise of like the books as a whole. So all the characters have some sort of connection with with that cafe so the first book is about the guy who opens it and it's about why he decides to open it and why he decides to make it lgbt friendly um and then the subsequent books are about people who work there or people who are sort of regulars there or people who have you know some sort of connection um and book three in the series is called better place and it's about one of the servers in the cafe a guy called dylan who just gets a very brief mention in book two he's not a very significant side character i often tend to kind of pluck my side characters out of more or less a Oblivion and just like use them when I'm thinking about inspiration for the next book. So there's not a big setup. It's very much works as a standalone, but he does get mentioned in book two. And in book two, he's looking at this guy who comes to the cafe sort of quite often and sits like working on a laptop. And so he's kind of noticed him and it's attracted to him. And so that's like all you really get in book two. So book three is their story. So in book three, we actually find out who the guy writing on his laptop is and um and see them you know getting to know each other um so they um the kind of themes of the book are um slightly kind of darker than usual for me really because um so I never know until I start writing what, what their stories are going to be. And it turns out that the guy who's writing in the cafe, he's actually currently in quite an unhealthy relationship. And, and that's kind of a big part of the story for him actually sort of breaking free of that and then becoming involved with somebody new. Um, so it's got kind of themes of um, 
kind of abusive relationships, not so much physical abuse, more kind of psychological gaslighting, just, you know, in, in he's in quite an unhealthy place with his current relationship. And it's how he kind of moves on from that. Really. What inspired you to go down a slightly darker path than usual? I'm really not sure. It's one of those things. I think I maybe had been like reading some stuff about kind of codependency and listened to some podcasts and just kind of got interested in that. And it's something that I, like I'd come across because of some conversations with a friend. And so that kind of led me down a sort of a not intentional research path of just kind of learning learning some stuff about that and then thinking actually that would be really interesting to to use in a in a book. So. <laughs> Was there a lot of research uh, as you wrote to kind of get that aspect of, of the character right? Um, yeah, well, I suppose a lot of the research happened before, which is how it tends to go with me. I'm not actually great at researching as I'm writing. As I'm writing, I kind of want to just focus on getting the story out. So it usually comes from something that I happen to sort of be interested in, like in the period before the book happens. So it'll often be the culmination of something that wasn't intentional book research that just happened to be an interest that I was exploring and then it ends up getting used in a book afterwards. Mm-hmm. And is is the uh, is the coffee shop in the book, uh, in the series, uh, inspired by a place that you actually know or just... Um, the physical actual building is, but it's not, um, the one I'm thinking of isn't LGBT friendly, particularly, sadly. I mean, it's probably it's fairly friendly, but it's not, you know, it's not sort of billed as that. Um, so it's actually based on a cafe that's in my local town that I sometimes visit and used to sometimes sit and write in. And it's just a really beautiful building. And mm-hmm. the people who work there are always kind of quite friendly and always seems like quite an atmosphere. And that kind of made me think it would be fun to write a kind of coffee, coffee shop based series and it wasn't until I started planning it that I decided to actually specifically make it LGBT friendly. But that's cool though that it's just like it's right there in your in your hometown. <laughs> yeah well it's I think for me I always find it helpful to actually have a visual of the place if it's a setting that's going to be used a lot. I actually find it quite useful to base it on somewhere so I often transplant buildings into you know fictional towns and but I'll kind of use that as the place that's in my head when I'm writing because it makes it easier to describe. Mm-hmm. Do you plan more in the Rainbow Place series? Yeah, well, I'm actually already writing the fourth one now. So the third one has just been finalised and it's actually already been released in paperback. It's not officially being released until the 22nd, but because I'm going to a book signing in Birmingham in the UK at the end of this month, I'm going to Shimmer, which is a UK book signing event. I wanted to get the paperback out in time so that I could order some copies to take to that. So that's why I published the paperback early this time. Um, and so, yeah, so as soon as that was finished and with my editor, I went straight into starting, making a start on book four. So I'm about 10,000 words into that now. So Any sneak peeks you can offer on what to expect in that book? Well, that one is set up a bit more obviously in book three. So as soon as people read book three, they're probably going to be able to guess who's going to be in book four. Um, so all I'll say for now is that the main characters are a drag queen and a rugby player. <laughs> oh, I love that combo. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, kind of chalk and cheese combination. So um, I thought that might be quite a fun one to write. And actually the character, the rugby player character is a character who um, I wasn't intending him to be a main character. Um because it's going to be a kind of sexual discovery story. I don't use gay for you because that's not what it is, but it's like him, you know, considering possibilities and finding something out about himself, realizing that he's more sexually flexible than he thought. So um, he was never supposed to have a story, but as always, some readers were like, oh, what about what about him? We like him. You know, we like Wixie. He's, he's a fun character. Is he ever going to get his own book? And I was like, no, 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 he's never going to get his own book, which is what I said about Sean in my housemate series. And, and he did. <laughs> in fact, his was book four as well. Maybe there's a pattern there. <laughs> by the end up giving in to the pressure of my readers and um, and end up writing the characters that they're asking for. Do you see past book five for it at this point for Rainbow? I haven't thought past book four at the moment, but I would imagine that I will carry on adding to the series as long as the books are you know doing well and readers are enjoying them. Then I, I think kind of six is quite a good length for a series. I wouldn't want to take too much past that, but. I think that's enough books that someone who ends up enjoying them can get really kind of stuck into the series and, and you know, lose themselves in it for a week or so. Yeah. And I, as a putting my reader hat on, it's always nice when there's like this central location, like a coffee shop or, you know, an ice cream shop or somewhere like that. It just draws the people in. 
because it leaves so many possibilities open. Yeah, that's the ideal. I mean, from a writer's point of view as well, that's the ideal is you want to have somewhere where you've got this kind of steady stream of possible characters so that you've got the option of carrying on and, you know, telling someone else a story if you want to. Absolutely. Now, in, in the segment before this interview, uh, Will did a review on starting from scratch, which he absolutely adored. He talked about it a lot just while he was listening to it. Uh, what was your inspiration behind that book? And for those who may not have listened to the, his full uh, review on it, tell us a little bit about what it's about as well. Okay, so starting from scratch is book number five, I think, in the Housemates series. Yeah, I think it is book five. Um, the Housemates series is set around um, student accommodation in Plymouth, like so st university for us in the UK, college for you. Um, so university age students, they're kind of young adult stories. And um, in starting from scratch, the main character is, one of the main characters is a transgender guy and the other main character is a cisgender guy. Um, and I think it was a story that I'd kind of wanted to write for a while, but didn't kind of have the courage to write it for quite a long time. Um, Cause for like anyone who doesn't know who's watching this, I'm trans and I only came out as transgender about, about two and a half years ago. Um, and I'd read some transgender stories and was obviously very interested in writing one, but it felt a bit too, it was too raw to write when I was still going through that process of kind of questioning and deciding for myself, it was too difficult, kind of, kind of, I didn't really want to look at it that closely. So once I kind of was out and was sort of moving on and had made a decision, you know, to come out and to transition, um, then I really, really wanted to write that story. And I subsequently went on to write another story with a transgender character as well. So I think for me, it was a big, it was obviously quite a personal sort of process to go through to kind of actually explore some of those feelings and to put those into a fictional setting, because it's not autobiographical, nor is Second Chance, the other one with a trans character. You know, I'm sure both of the characters have aspects of me in them, but, you know, they also have a lot that isn't me, so. And it's, it's to me, really great that these, that there's more, trans stories out there uh it's just so important to keep that diversity happening within the romances yeah it's been really great to see the demand for them actually because it was one of those things that um you know i did have some people saying that oh yeah but do you think you know is it going to kill the series is it like, a reader's not going to be interested you know you, should you maybe write it as a standalone rather than putting it in a series that's been doing so well and um you know my answer to that was well this is the story I want to write and this is how I want to write it. And I just thought, well, I'll take that chance. And I thought if readers aren't interested, they'll skip that. Readers will often skip a story in a series for a whole variety of reasons. If they don't like the trope, they don't like, you know, whatever, something about, you know, red hair or whatever. <laughs> you never know what people are going to complain about. So I kind of didn't really worry too much about it killing the series. And I think I had faith that enough readers would probably give it a go and that, it was worth a shot and actually it's been it's been a really popular book I and mean, then i was really really thrilled with the response how many people did read it and embraced it and some people were excited about reading it other people were like oh i'm not sure you know for anything like that before but you know they decided to give it a try and some people actively you know sought that out and that was the first book in the series that they read and then they went on to read the others so but the response has been great and i think the demand for transgender stories as well as all sorts of different diversity in stories is is definitely something that we're seeing more of readers want to read about different sorts of characters lots and lots of different sorts of queer characters which is great I mean I think it was important for me to explore some of my feelings about gender through those stories because I think in all of my books in all of my characters I'm always on some level exploring aspects of myself like very very hidden under the layers and under all the other stuff that's happening there's always there's always something there and often the books that I enjoy writing the most are the ones that probably have like a stronger connection with so I think for me there is definitely that desire to explore my own thoughts in it mm -hmm. but then there's also probably a desire to educate as well I couldn't resist that I mean I used to be a teacher many moons ago <laughs> and um you know I think there is and I'm, I mean, I see myself as an advocate and I think there is that desire to kind of educate so it's trying to sort of write a story that reflects um you know quite a real experience and that's accurate for me, because obviously everybody is different or accurate, whatever research I've done where it doesn't match my experience. Um, 
and to try and sort of portray that in a way that's entertaining, but where somebody who maybe isn't so well up on transgender issues is going to come away knowing a little bit more and then probably being a better ally as a result. Mm-hmm. Now, your bio says that you come from a family of writers and you were worried for a long time that the gene had skipped you to be the writer. <laughs> what helped you turn that corner and, and find the writer that was in you anyway? It wasn't so much as a worry. I just never thought of myself as a writer, certainly not as a fiction writer. I didn't see myself as a creative person at all. And I was quite happy with that. I wasn't I wasn't sort of I didn't really feel like I was missing out. But I just thought, oh, well, that's, you know, my mom, you know, she does that. And my grandfather did that. And my sisters, some of my sisters enjoy writing stories, fiction, poetry. But I was just always like, you know, I write essays I write stuff that's like more sort of science-based or web content or articles um so I was always good at expressing myself in words but I just didn't think that I had that kind of creative urge Mm -hmm. mainly because I never really felt that creative urge I always loved reading fiction but I never really found myself wanting to tell stories um so it was just one of those things that it never occurred to me it didn't occur to me for years I just kind of forgot that I used to enjoy writing stories when I was a child and just, you know, didn't think about it. <laughs> what led you to to give it a shot and find your inner, your writer again? So it started with me reading fan fiction and being interested in the fact that these stories that I was reading, and some of them were really fantastic, well-written, you know, amazing stories, and they were being written by people who were doing it for fun. They were being written by people who were doing it as a hobby because they loved it. And that kind of made me just literally think, I wonder if I could write a story. I haven't tried since I was like 16 years old and gave up English language at school. Um, You know, I wonder if I can. And I had a conversation with a friend who kind of, thought the same sort of thing and we both decided to try just to see just like write a short story just to see what it felt like so it was very much a huge learning curve because I couldn't remember how to do things like punctuate dialogue and stuff like that so I was like how do you do that so I had to kind of look it up and it's like oh yeah okay that's how speech marks work and um I kind of like wrote this like little short thing and um really enjoyed the process and was amazed to find that once I started writing I had ideas where I thought I wasn't a creative person. It was the process of actually putting words on a page that sort of unlocked that. Oh, there are ideas in my head, but they don't come out unless I'm actually writing them down. And then it was kind of like the dam burst and I got, you know, sort of fascinated by the whole process and ended up, started writing more and more and more. <laughs> That's awesome. Everybody everybody we talk to who, who has any start in fanfic or, or reading fanfic, we always have to ask, what was your fanfic? <laughs> your fanfic um, like um it was some well a lot of it ended up probably being quite similar to my original fiction um because most of the fan fiction that i wrote was gay romance was mm as it's often called um not entirely all of it but almost all of it was and so it was yeah it probably has a fair amount of similarities quite a lot of it would have been contemporary um but i did also write some that would have involved like vampires or werewolves and stuff because i used to write um Teen Wolf, Twilight, Merlin, Harry Potter. <laughs> so um, some of it had like more magical elements, but quite a lot of it was contemporary or, you know, where you use the characters here in the Twilight series, for example, they're vampires. But when you write about them, you're just writing like an alternate universe where they're human. So so it was, yeah, I mean, I kind of definitely it was a training ground for me in terms of learning how to write and learning you know, those elements of kind of story structure and just, yeah, how to punctuate. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you mentioned the dialogue because every now and then it's like, what goes inside the quotes, what doesn't is <laughs> can yeah, be a mystery. Cool. Like whether you use a comma or a full stop, all that stuff about dialogue tags, I was like, oh, wow, I don't remember any of this from school. Maybe I never even learned it. So. <laughs> so what was attracting you to write gay romance as you got started and, and then started down the road of publishing as well? Um, well, I think it was again it started off because that's what i was reading so once i once i was reading fan fiction initially it wasn't gay romance that i was reading and then as happens with a lot of people i kind of stumbled upon gay romance and i was like 
wow, why have I not read this before? Because I'd always been drawn to um, to sort of queer themes in literature, but there was so little out there, especially that was kind of happy and romantic, as you know, as I'm sure you know, like you know, 10, 15 years ago, it was very difficult to find any sort of happy, romantic queer story that had been published. Um, and so I used to, I did, I, I did always enjoy reading queer literature and watching like movies with those themes, but I used to find it really depressing. And um, so when I found that there was like queer, happy stories in fan fiction, then I devoured those. And at the time, I didn't really know why I enjoyed reading those specifically, um, because of, in a way that was probably part of my process of realising that I was transgender and realising that I actually kind of felt this connection that I couldn't quite explain to to queer stories, especially to kind of coming out stories and stories about people working out their identities and stuff. And um, so I think that was probably the reason that I enjoyed write, reading them so much. And then subsequently, when I went on to start writing, that was what I wanted to write. That was just the stories that I had in my head. Those were the things that I wanted to write about. Any particular author influences on your own journey? Um, it's difficult, I suppose, because actually a lot of them probably would have been fan fiction authors, because I probably read more widely when I was still reading fan fiction, because I had more time then before I was writing so much. Um, so and probably probably several of those authors actually are now published authors, but I can never remember who used to write fan fiction and who didn't, and you don't always know the names behind the fan fiction names. Um, but sort of thinking in terms of just a few, couple of authors I can think of who I was influenced by probably fan fiction and original fiction, but Con Riley, who, um, she's not nearly as well known as she should be, she's a fantastically talented British writer, and she used to write fan fiction, so I knew her from that um, community, and then she had some books that were published by Dream Spinner, and she's also self-published some, but she works full-time, so she only publishes occasionally, which is one of the reasons that she's not, you know, as well known as authors who publish lots of books every year um but she's a really good writer and i used to love reading her stuff and i definitely learned a lot from reading her work and also from just sort of talking to her and getting some um critique from her in the early days of my writing um and another author who i was inspired by was josephine miles who's another british writer and she she used to write books she used to be published by samane and um, again, she's a, one who isn't writing as much at the moment because she's busy with life, in her case, um, young children, so she's not publishing as frequently now. But she was a big inspiration to me. And also Harper Fox, again, another British writer, because I wanted to write stories that were set in in Britain. I wanted to write stories with English characters, with British characters, because I felt that they would be, the voice, my voice would be more authentic that way. But at the time, I was a bit worried because most of the people writing were writing stuff set in America. And I kind of had this idea that the, the American market was so important and that people wouldn't want to write, wouldn't want to read British stories, um, which luckily is absolutely not the case at all. But this, that was a thing that I was a bit concerned about. And also a lot of the publishers would insist on changing the spellings and would, would insist on kind of like editing out the Britishness of the books to make them more sort of what they considered to be more acceptable for American readers. But I think they were kind of doing their American readers a disservice, actually, because I think most Americans are able to cope with, you know, stuff like Marmite and <laughs> baked beans and, you know, the boot of the car. So um, <laughs> that I was a bit concerned about. So that I kind of approached some of those authors and asked them about their, you know, their experiences of that. And I was kind of told, no, just go for it. Actually, a lot of people love reading British, British stories, so don't worry about it. So I did have to change my spellings for Dream Spinner, but other than that, they kept the content pretty authentic, which was great. Oh, they make you take out all those extra U's that happen? <laughs> yeah, I, with, the, with the books that I had published in Dream Spinner, I had to, yeah, I had to go through them and change all the spellings. Um, and then when I got the rights back, I had to go back and change them all back again. But at least they didn't want to change the content and the, the vocabulary wasn't, wasn't altered. So that was good. Occasionally I'd have editors going, like, I really don't understand this. I think you should maybe make it so that it's more obvious. <laughs> but I quite enjoyed confusing the American editors. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of your favorite genres and tropes to work with? Um, I think it's the ones that I guess are probably quite personal to me so it is things like um people who are coming out people who are discovering themselves and who they are and people who are kind of finding their own place because you know their place within the queer community and finding out 
you know who they are and what they need because for, obviously for me that's quite personal because that wasn't a journey I realized I was going on when I started writing and then it kind of became clear that it was that there was this kind of undercurrent for me and it's quite interesting looking back that even in my sort of earliest books those are the themes that I keep returning to it's like I always used to enjoy writing that kind of you know that sexual discovery that person having that moment of realization that, that person you know questioning everything they thought they knew um so those are the things that I always have enjoyed reading and also writing um as far as um so those as far as tropes and as far as genres um mainly contemporary because those are the kind of stories that tend to be in my head but I have occasionally dabbled outside contemporary I've written one story with shifters in and I've written one story with a sort of just a kind of subtle magical element so that's um, a book called Into You which is a body swap story basically so it's kind of it was inspired by Freaky Friday so it's a body swap story but with two 18 year old guys who um, used to be friends when they were young and then they end up like being enemies when they're older they've kind of fallen out and they don't get on at all anymore and then you know one day they wake up and they swap bodies and you know they have to work out how to get back <laughs> so that was a really fun one to write and I would like to do more with that kind of that kind of magic so it's like in a contemporary kind of setting but with that fantasy magical element mm -hmm. and besides the magic is there is there something you have your eye on to write one day and you haven't figured out maybe how to do it yet or that you're a little scared to try it um, I'm not sure. I mean, I think I would like to do more kind of paranormal because that is that is really fun to write. Um, but um, the world building can be can be quite challenging with that. I think like the amount of consistency that you need when you're creating something that is quite outside of your, you know, our kind of contemporary settings that I'm used to writing. Um, because I'm not very good at planning. I'm not a planner. I do tend to kind of fly by the seat of my pants when I'm writing and even writing contemporary in relatively straightforward settings. I do sometimes get myself in a horrible tangle and have to kind of go back and fix all sorts of inconsistencies. And so the idea of writing anything that's got like more world building in is quite daunting. Um, and the other thing, again, I think that would fall into that category, I guess, would be something like historical, because I love reading historical, but the amount of research that that would involve, I would think I would find that quite daunting because I'm a kind of a big picture person and not a details person so I think I'd find that quite hard mm -hmm. and of course you just mentioned that you you're basically not the planner uh, do you go into a book with a general concept or are you just going with characters that you know you want to write about and just go for it um yeah probably the latter really I think you know for example the story that I'm writing at the moment I was like okay Wixie the rugby player and the drag queen who he kind of has this strange unexplained to him crush on um i just thought okay that's going to be really fun so that's the that's the plan is i just have to get them together and then i kind of usually maybe once i start to think about it i might kind of plan out a few key scenes a few kind of things that i want to write and those are kind of like way markers but it is quite fluid and it does often change as i go and i sometimes don't hit the way markers i'm expecting to hit and something different will happen so yeah i am quite um quite fairly chaotic in my writing. <laughs> it seems to yield really good end results though, so it all works out. <laughs> Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, it does. It does it often does feel like a bit of a miracle when I manage to get to the end, and then I kind of think, is this actually going to like hang together as at all when I read it through? And then I read it through, and I, it, it usually does seem to work, but it, it's still a bit of a mystery to me how it happens. <laughs> What's your favorite part of your writing process? I think it's actually publishing part. I think it's getting that book live on Amazon and getting the first response from the readers who are also by readers. That's the bit I really love is when I publish a new book and I know that there are people out there who are like waiting to get their hands on it. And then I get those first responses to the book is really exciting when I get like people tweeting or sending me a message or posting something on Facebook to say that they finished it or that they're halfway through and oh my god you know what's you know I can't believe you did that um that's the bit that I really love because that just makes it so worth it you know all the hard work and all the stress about it and all the anxiety about you know is it good enough it's like as long as as long as plenty of my sort of what I think was like my regular readers the people who read most of the stuff that I write as long as they're enjoying it then it, that's a really good feeling. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's 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 great when the feedback comes in and is is positive. What would you say the trademarks of a Jay Northcote book are? 
Um, I think I think I'm known for being quite light. I don't like the word fluffy because it sounds a bit naff, but um, I kind of think, you know, lighthearted, not too much angst. But I think that there is always like a little bit of sort of bitterness, bittersweetness inside the kind of more superficial, happy, lightheartedness. I think but then so much of that is about what people see, isn't it, as well, because there's that whole thing about people's perceptions is very coloured by their own experiences as well. So some people will read a book and think it's like really happy and fluffy and not really notice the angst. And someone else will read something and be like, I cried for hours, you know, and you're like, I thought that was a happy book. So it's it's, it's so hard to make these generalisations. But I would say that I'm generally known for being kind of quite lighthearted, mostly kind of feel book, feel good books, but with, you know, that little bit of, hopefully that little bit of depth or, you know, angst just to kind of, Sweeten the pill. Sound <laughs> doesn't make sense. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it makes it makes sense. A bit of angst to balance the sweetness. So you mentioned earlier that you're working on Rainbow Place number four. What else is coming up this year for you? Ah, uh, well, just as with my books, I don't really plan my publishing schedule that much either, to be honest. So it's usually a bit of a mystery. So I, I kind of have this huge. Google document of story ideas that I just like add to whenever I have an idea and I kind of look through it and you know some of them are great and some of them I'm like what the hell was I on when I wrote that (laughs) (laughs) it's going to be a story um so quite often I will just literally I finish one thing and I'll go to that document and be like right what am I going to write next so there's nothing specific on the agenda although I am thinking of trying to write a final story for the housemate series because I never kind of officially finished it it doesn't have the last the last book in the series, Pretty in Pink. Um, it doesn't have a sort of a big finale type ending. So I kind of left it open that I could add to the series if I wanted to. But equally, I didn't set up any characters. So I didn't leave anyone hanging. So I've got to kind of come up with a way of um, writing something else for that. Because I'd like to. I'd like to kind of round off stories for more than one of the couples in the book. And as well as maybe introducing a new couple. So I'm going to have to try and think about that. But I would like to try and add that might be my next project as long as I can come up with something. If I can't come up with something, then I'll probably put that on the back burner and um, dive into something different. But I have no idea what that would be. Something else with magic, maybe. <laughs> and I'll probably fit in another Christmas um, book because those are those are another the things that I think I'm known for because I always put out a Christmas book every year. So I'll probably try and squeeze one of those in somewhere as well. Very cool. What's the best way for folks to keep up with you online so they can find out what you're doing next once you know? Um, well, the social media that i use most of all is probably facebook and twitter fairly equally um so i'm on facebook under the name jay northcote and i'm on twitter as j underscore northcote jay without the underscore is not me that's some bloke who gets quite a lot of tweets that are meant for me because every now and then i search for him so it's j underscore northcote on twitter i do use instagram but not as frequently um so, yeah, those are probably the two best places to find me. And then website as well, obviously. But that's mostly just a kind of a you know, list of list of books. I don't do a lot of blogging. I'm a bit lazy about that. I want to have a newsletter as well. So that's probably the best thing of all. If people want to be sure of never missing a release, there is a newsletter which is kind of linked to from everyone. Perfect. All right. Well, Jay, it has been so awesome getting to talk to you. Yeah, it's been really good. Thank you. <laughs> so thanks again to Jay for joining us. I'm really glad he we got to dive in a little bit on, on what it took for him to write starting from scratch mm-hmm. and the courage to take his own story and to spin that into a book. And even more that he mentioned that, you know, there was a demand for that book and, and the trans stories that he's been telling. Yeah, it's amazing. Like I said, please pick this book up. It's so good. I love Sid and Ben so much. <laughs> Sid and Ben for Valentine's Day. Forever. Okay, guys, I think that's going to do it for this week's show. Uh, just a quick reminder. Did you know that the Big Gay Fiction Podcast has its very own Patreon page? Well, we do. Patreon is a way for fans to engage with all kinds of artists and writers and musicians. And oh yeah, podcasters as well. It's a great way to support the kinds of creative content that you enjoy most. If you're curious about what kind of bonus material we deliver to our fans every single month, just go to patreon.com slash podcast. And of course, this week we have our 
February bonus episode going out, so you'll be able to pick that up if you're a Patreon. Yeah. Now, coming up in next week's show, we have Coastal Magic Convention featured author Brew Baker, and she's going to be here to talk about her upcoming Dream Spun Beyond book, Stealing His Heart. Yes. We've had Brew on for just mere minutes in an in a episode uh, last year, mm-hmm. and I'm super excited to really sit down and talk about this new book and talk about her career. Yeah, it's going to be good stuff. You're not going to want to miss that. So guys, remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. Until next time, everyone, please keep turning those pages and keep reading. For detailed show notes and links to everything discussed in this episode, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday at all major podcast distributors. You can also find us on YouTube. I'm Derek McLean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.